When it feels like you can barely boss yourself, how do you start bossing other people? Hi, welcome to another episode of Business Mindset Mastery. I'm Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and performance coach for business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs. You can always find me over at choosetohaveitall.com. And I am really looking forward to today's conversation. I opened my inbox recently and I was getting a bunch of listener questions all around um, bossing staff members. How do you hire effectively? How do you fire when needed? How do you ask a staff person to sort of explain their billable hours that they've been billing you for? A lot of different staffing issues that have come after a conversation I had at the beginning of the, I think it was the beginning of August. Um, I have an episode out there. Um, what to do when staff members fail and how to boss when your staff members haven't been, you know, meeting expectations. And I was getting this collection of questions. I was trying to figure out how to help everybody who's been asking, but it seemed so small picture, sort of answering questions one by one and making each question its own podcast episode. And one of the things that I realized is sort of an observation I've had in the online business space. In particular, I know that brick and mortar business owners suffer with um, sort of a lack of insight and training around effective management strategies and effectively hiring people and holding effective accountability. But in the online space, I find it more prevalent. And the reason for this is a lot of people went into business online because they wanted to escape their own nine to five situation. They wanted lifestyle freedom. They wanted time freedom. They wanted financial freedom. They had this idea for how they could turn some sort of passion or skill set that they currently had and turn it into a business. At that point, when you're thinking about what you'd like to do someday, it doesn't really occur to you that that choice, if you become successful, if your business starts to grow, that choice also means that you're choosing to be a business owner who's also in charge of managing staff and personnel because that isn't sort of on the radar when on a wing and a prayer, you're putting your first online product or service into the world. You just are doing it yourself. You're bootstrapping it yourself. And you get so used to doing it yourself and bootstrapping yourself that for a while it can take it can take a lot of months of sort of distracted, unfocused behavior to realize that it might be time to get your first virtual assistant or it might be time to get an executive assistant to help you with some of the tasks. You're so used to doing it yourself sometimes that it's hard to perceive that your job would be easier, your work would be easier if you simply hired some help. And then the next thing that happens for a lot of business owners, they start focusing on the pressures that come with um, sort of financially supporting staff members. They worry that if they hire somebody, but the sales go down, how are they going to afford to continue to pay their staff member, especially now that, you know, they feel personally responsible for the idea that they're also then supporting their staff member's family. And it can feel like such a burden that the last thing that comes across their mind or their plate as they're thinking about these things is how do I manage these staff members? How do 
I, you know, develop effective leadership strategies? Who do I want to be as a boss and as an employer of these individuals? And how do I make people feel like they're part of a team when we're all in different, um, sometimes it's states, sometimes it's countries, a lot of times it's different time zones, and all of the unknown questions, the not knowing how to, feeling like you're lacking a skill set, it starts to play at you and eat at you a little bit. And it makes you feel ineffective. It makes you feel like you've lost your direction. And it makes you feel like you have no business bossing. Now, if that last episode that I did at the beginning of the month um, wasn't enough, I'm kind of hoping today's, in you know, sort of conversation that I want to have with you sets the stage for a clean slate. Because I think that all of the questions I got, and I'm going to respond to each of you individually and direct you to these episode, this particular episode so you know that your question got answered, but it's the idea that all of these questions come as a symptom of a poor foundation, a poor structure around staffing the business in the first place. So what I really want to offer is sort of a, a little masterclass workshop in bossing other people sort of, if you got to have a clean slate, how could you do it? Because it's my hope and my wish that as you look at the sort of the structure that I have in place, the six kind of steps to being an effective manager, if you will, that you can see where in your own staffing profile you may have, t- may have taken a left when you need to take a right, and then you know how to backpedal to that particular skill set, communicate to your staff members what you know you need them to know, what you've realized, and then you can kind of put a band-aid on the situation and then you can repair it for real as time allows. That's like my hope and my wish is that this will give you insight to see where your conflict is coming up, what needs your attention, and then how to set a better path going forward. And then in a perfect world, if you haven't hired your first staff members yet, if you haven't brought on a team, this is like how to build the strong foundation, how to get it right the first time. It doesn't mean there won't be wobbles and there's not going to be confusion and obstacles. It it is a a tricky business when you're mixing personalities, trying to get a, you know, a singular task done. But if you're committed to good communication, if you're committed to having, just like I talked on yesterday's show, like avoiding like weeks or months of awkwardness, just to simply have the single solitary hard conversation, you can set yourself, your business and your team for really good success. If we start to think about where this begins at the beginning, it's going to come down to the thing that makes you all, I'm sure at this point, roll your eyes because you've heard me say it a thousand times, but you have to be really clear on the type of business you want to have. Not just where you're currently at and whether or not you're good with that, but where do you want to be going? Because you want to be able to start crafting and thinking about what tasks and what kind of specific parts of your business need to be delegated? Where, you know, where is your skill set failing you and somebody who has more expertise and a, a better ability to specialize in something, where would you be better served by hiring them to do it? Where do you need a generalist? Where do you need a specialist? And what specifically do you need to hire out that will move the needle in your business. You 
have to do that internally with mentors, with colleagues, before you ever think about getting a staff person involved or writing the first job description. And where you're at with that, it doesn't have to be your final answer. It just has to be the where your business is now and where you want it to be next answer. Because at every milestone, at every growth opportunity, your business has, there's going to be time to reevaluate, to check in with yourself about whether or not what you're currently doing is currently working for you, whether or not the staff that you've hired are working out for you, meeting or exceeding your expectations, and what's best for your business, because you're going to take an active role in that process. But before you can hire out, before you can write that job description, you have to get a sense of what you want your business to look like, not what other people do are doing, not how other people are doing it, but what kind of boss and leader do you want to be? There are so many different ways of managing and there's so many different styles. Learning to trust yours, learning to communicate effectively, being true to you and authentic to you is the most important thing. Otherwise, you'll find that at the crucial moments, you have no idea how to move or how to be because you're so used to relying on this idea that you could simply do it the way someone else does it. And when it's your own business, it just doesn't work. You can't sort of do it, you know, the way anyone else would do it. You have to do it in a way that's consistent with who you are. Otherwise, everything's set up to fail. So the first thing you really need to think about is the job description. The best way to get the best candidates is to be super specific about the job district, you know, the job requirements as they are now and as you expect them to be in the coming 12 months. So the idea being that we're currently looking for someone who can A, B, and C, and as the business grows, we will also need said person to be able to do D, E, and F. That way you are really clear in the tasks that need to be delegated out. You're going to list the skill sets you expect and you're going to list any other specifics that the person doing this job needs to have or know. So if it's training or certification or experience with, you're going to include that. And then to the best of your ability, because, you know, people have done workshops and workshops and trainings and trainings on this, you are going to include the personality types that are ideal fits for your team. So if you need self-starters, if you need people who take initiative and problem solve independently, then you need to describe what that would look like in person so that your ideal employee can read that description and know you're talking talking about them. So often we simply say needs experience with social media, funnel writing, email marketing, and customer support. When what in actuality it's you need somebody who has experience in specific software, who has a specific kind of customer service style, who has an ability to perceive problems before they become problems and intervene independently without waiting for somebody else to solve the problem. Usually, if I were to ask you what the crystal clear vision of the 
perfect employee would be for your business, you usually have it in mind. But people hesitate to put all of that out there in a job description because they're afraid of missing out on a better candidate or they're afraid that they're going to make the field too narrow. But what you want to do to the best of your ability is set the, the interviewer or sorry, the interviewee up for success. So if you know you have a casual work environment, if you know that um, your business runs with less structure and you're planning on that, then you need an employee who's comfortable with less structure, with a less former structure, knows how to take initiative and can ask for help when needed or something. But you want to think about the dynamics on the team and what type of personality do you need on your team to balance you out? Where are Where are you? or where is your staff lacking that you need somebody's skill set, experience, or personality type to kind of blend in and match. And the more you can spend, the more time you can spend dialing in on this part, it's going to make everything that comes next easier. But if you don't, if you do a general job description, you're going to get general applicants. And then like all that happens is you just end up checking the series of boxes. Yes, this person has experience with this. Yes, this person has experience with that, but you don't actually get to know the person, nor do you get to really understand how they'll fit on your team. So you want to spend some time getting really clear on the personality types that you need, where you um, sort of need somebody to compensate weaknesses that you have, and what overall is best for the team that goes beyond your, you know, sort of conveniently available at the same time. or you know how to do what I'm asking, so I'm just going to let it be good because you need to think about your job description with some nuance so that you're really weeding out the people who are not a good fit, who don't have the experience to match you so that you can open the door and welcome the new people who might be a more better fit. You know, the next thing I want you to think about is once you've interviewed and once you, you know, sort of have uh, sort of started that process of the job description, you're going to start to get to know different employees. And that's how you're going to move past the checklist. You're going to start to have these interviews. You're going to have these conversations. You're going to decide based on how people are presenting themselves, who you want to interview and who you don't. I would have some sense of that for yourself beforehand. So for example, if you are really hoping that you get the employee that applies creatively or shows a little bit of personality or definitely has a specific certification under their belt, you want to know that so that you are booking interviews with quality candidates and you're not just filling the book to give yourself a lot of choices. I think that happens a lot when people are interviewing. They either grab the first person who meets sort of the surface criteria or they overbook thinking that they don't want to miss out on the dream candidate but you want to get the candidate who meets the job description and presents them in such a way presents themselves in such a way that they want to know more 
And then when you ask the interview questions, you don't just want to know the skill set. You do need to know that the person you're hiring is capable and talented in doing the tasks that you need them to do. But you also want to make sure they're a good communicator, that when they don't understand something, they ask a follow-up question. When they've made a mistake, they're able to accept responsibility, that they ask for help, that they accept help, that they think creatively. Whatever the sort of personality type you want in, you know, on your team, you need to make sure you're asking questions that elicit that. And I find that a lot of bosses are so insecure in that role of asking and interviewing because they feel like they're in this position of telling someone else they're not good enough and they hate being in that position. But as the boss of your business, it is non-negotiable. You are going to be telling people, I'm sorry, you're not the right fit or thank you for your time and attention now is simply not the right time you are going to have those conversations and you should have those conversations as the boss of your business but you have to do it as you get your bearings as you get your sea legs a little bit and you find your way so you can slow down the timing if you need to but you really want to structure your interview in such a way that allows you to get to know the whole person so you get a sense that you of how they manage conflict how they ask for question how they ask for information when they have questions that are kind of embarrassing to ask how they accept feedback is a really big question to sort of say you know, like when you when you receive feedback or when someone's holding accountability with you, can you give an example of one time it really worked for you and one time when it really, you know, was a struggle? You want to get a sense of how sort of correctable and coachable your, you know, prospective staff members are. So don't skirt around the interview. Be clear and direct and unapologetic so you really feel as though you're leaving the, inter- the interview process really knowing a person and feeling confident in your ability to connect with them. Once you have hired somebody, so often it's really easy to say, particularly on like virtual teams, okay, so, you know, this week I need you to do A, B, and C, and then next week if you could start D, E, and F, and then, you know, in the third week we'll go back to A, B, and C. But when you start a new working relationship by simply assigning tasks, you are missing an opportunity to set people up for success. So once you've hired them once you've offered the job and once they've accepted it and they become your staff member you want to think about onboarding them just as you would in a, a way that's honorable and respectful that you would do for a client you want to do the same thing for your staff so they feel welcome so they feel included and they feel a part of something so you want to make sure that that initial welcoming to your team Include some opportunities for relationship building, for you to get to know the new staff person, for the staff person to get to know you. And also, too, if you have multiple members of your team, for all of your staff to kind of get to know one another without having, you know, sort of mom or dad in the room. Let them get to know their fellow staff members on their own because that's how you're going to still start to build relationships. And that's how morale starts. And sometimes it's so easy when 
when you're the new employer to feel like you have to run the schedule for all of your staff members. But what's really going to set you guys up for success is if you introduce and orient your new staff member to the big picture of your business. So that does include a reminder and classification and clarification of their job description, but not just the tasks, how you expect those tasks to be done, how your their performance is going to be evaluated, what is your training procedure. So a lot of people like to record themselves doing the tasks that they are then hiring other people for. So for example, if you're showing somebody how to load social media posts and then how to also send an email to the email community, how do you want that person trained? What do you need them to know? What are the values that are important to communicate in a newsletter? What timing and date do you want this sucker released to the universe? All of that. If you set your staff members up for success in communicating this and letting them know what needs to get done, when it needs to get done by, and what a good job does, like what a good job looks like, like what it'll look like if they have done the job well, you're setting the staff member up for success. But you also, in this model, want to make sure you're building in opportunities where the new client or the new customer can ask for help, can say, hey, I don't know this, or I've been having a hard time finding, or could you help me with this one thing? Because you want to make sure that your staff members have a complete picture of what's being asked of you, what your timing is, and what your availability is, because that sets everybody up for success. The next thing you really want to start thinking about is kind of the structure and the way as a boss you want to communicate to your team. I think that one of the things that really differs from brick and mortar to virtual businesses is that brick and mortars very often run in like the the employees and the staff members of brick and mortar businesses often run into each other in the halls or at the water cooler or in the staff room. So there's this regular um, accountability, regular check-in, just shoot in the breeze kind of opportunities. When everybody works virtually and you're managing different time zones and you're doing different tasks and you're responsible for different parts of the business, it's really hard to think about how are we going to regularly me. But one of the things you want to do once you become a staff, uh, sort of a boss of even only one staff member, you do want to get regular meetings on the books. You want them to, your team members to know that we talk regularly. We talk about what we're currently doing, what needs to get done, anything with incidentals, anything that people need to know about, you're going to put out to the universe, like sort of put out to the the team members that like this is important these are the values of our team these are the values of this business this is what i hold important and you are going to you know sort of assert yourself and the things that are important to you and then you're going to talk to your team about the structure how often you're going to meet how you're reviewing expectations when things need to get done by how they can communicate to you when a deadline isn't going to be met 
what they can expect in communication with you and in feedback with you. But so often, you know, it's so easy to just say, oh, I'm assigning you the schedule for the month or, oh, I'm assigning you to pick up X, Y, and Z for the event next week or, oh, I need you to do this. And it feel, and it, it sends the, the energy and sort of an outward direction. You go do this. You go do that. I need you to do that. And we know as employees that that doesn't create a lasting environment for us to want to hang out in very much. But we get trapped in that mentality because it's quick. And because it's virtual, I think sometimes we legitimately forget there's actual people on the other side. So you want to have a regular discussion around how tasks are going to be assigned, how the expectations are going to be defined, and how you're going to hold accountability around those things. Because then your new staff members are going to know what to expect from you. They're going to know what you demand and they're going to know when they're going to be evaluated. So they're in control and they know what happens next and it gets rid of the ambiguity. It reduces the likelihood that things will be unclear. And sometimes that structure, that consistency changes everything. Because so often, because we're virtual, we take these things less seriously. We don't think we need a weekly meeting. We don't think we need in-person Zoom chat. We can just text or we could just, you know, um, go on, uh, you know, sort of text or use one of the, um, I'm blanking on the term, the client management systems like Trello or or, um, there's another one that's coming to, oh, Slack is the other one. Um, it's so easy to hide behind Trello or Slack, but what you really want to do is even if you're working virtually and everybody has time freedom on your team and everybody has lifestyle freedom on your team, you do still want to have regular meetings, check-ins around what you're currently doing, what needs to get done. And you want that in the book. So it's consistently and reliably sort of something that new employees can lean on and predict and anticipate because then it also models for them how and where they can ask for help, how and where they can get clarification, or if they're getting stressed or intimidated by a certain task. It gives regular face time so those conversations can be had because sometimes managing them independently um, or like on the fly, as I call it, it just doesn't work. And people, as we've seen over and over again on the show, are really, really hesitant to bring up the hard conversations. But if there's a regular time already scheduled, it gets in the books that much easier. Everyone can anticipate it and they know when they're going to be able to ask their question. I think one of the mistakes that bosses sometimes make when they're not used to managing people and they're not used to having a staff is they feel like they want to take advantage of the time freedom aspect that comes with running a virtual business. But when you don't run your business as a business and you don't schedule regular meetings and regular FaceTime and regular check-ins with your staff, you're creating a breeding ground for avoidance. Because what that ends up meaning is you're sending the message 
that unless we have something specific to talk about, I don't want to talk to you. And it makes every sort of meeting that you have to have be something that one or both of you have to ask for and schedule, which can create kind of um, just discomfort and inconsistency and vulnerability, really. Like it can feel like as a boss that if you're setting a meeting, it's because somebody hasn't done something well. And if your staff member receives, you know, repeated requests, for meetings, it's going to feel like, oh my gosh, every time I'm asked for a meeting, it's because I didn't do something well. Or if the employee is struggling to ask for help or have a hard conversation with you as the employer, it needs to be a hard enough conversation that warrants a meeting in time of your schedule. You can avoid all of this and create positive morale and create that team environment, no matter how far away you work from one another, by having regular, consistent meetings. I can't tell you how many times I've been coaching bosses and clients to this, and they avoid that because they feel like, well, so-and-so has been doing this job for three months. Of course, she knows what to do. It's her same job every week. But if you don't take that 10 seconds and something's come up, you risk not getting that information and you risk not being able to make a pivot or a little sort of left-hand turn on information that you would have gotten ordinarily when you're touching base. Now, one of the things we all hate about corporate is meetings with no point. So I'm not suggesting to you that you just meet with your team every Monday at 9 a.m. for shits and giggles. What you really want to do is have a, a strategy and a structure to your meetings so that the Monday meeting at 9 a.m. in the first 10 minutes, this is what you're doing. In the next 15 minutes, this is what you're doing. And in the last 10 minutes, that's what you're doing so that by the end of the half hour, 45 minute meeting, everybody knows what they're supposed to do in the coming week. Everybody's had an opportunity opportunity to talk and you just get casual relationship building opportunities and it makes it so much easier to to kind of build a positive morale to build a positive mood to open the doors of communication beyond I need you to do this by Monday did this get done by Monday the next thing you really want to think about in addition to like the physical structure is you want to think about as a boss and as a leader, what is your communication style? What can your employees expect of you? Are you somebody who emails regularly? Do you rely primarily on text? What is the best way for people to reach you urgently? When can they expect to hear from you? When don't they expect to hear from you? What is it, you know, how are they going to know if they got a job well done? How are they going to know if there's room for improvement? If you can introduce yourself to your team members, if you can show them how to move through the world and like how you move through the world rather and then ask them how they do and get to know them and get to know that process, you're setting both of you up for success. You're sort of, you're laying the groundwork for really good communication from the start and they don't get the, we need to have a talk vibe. And if they don't get that, we need to have a talk vibe, it's so much easier easier for them to approach you and to view you with more openness, less trepidation, more honesty, and more truth-telling. And really good communication is the solid core foundation of a really good team. But that also includes that it can't just be about the job tasks. You want to make sure that you have a way in your style, in your way of bossing and managing 
that you are praising your staff members regularly, not in like kissing their ass. And every time they do something good, you're saying, good job, good job. But we have to recognize that we are all grown up kids. And when we want kids to sort of repeat a behavior, when we want kids to know that they've done a good job, that they've made us happy, that we're proud of them, we tell them so and we praise them and we say thank you and we show support. And sometimes bosses, you know, can kind of take that part for granted. They say, well, of course this person followed my directions. That's what I've hired them to do. Of course this person delivered the project on time. That's what I hired them to do. But that recognition of a job well done, being seen, being understood and respected by an employer goes a really long way to building a good employer-employee relationship. So many times, you'll hear this over and over again in the corporate world, but people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. So many people leave their place of employment, not because they really hated the job or not because they didn't like their team member, but they were no longer happy with their boss. And a way to avoid that mentality, a way to avoid a churn in your own staffing is to be really clear about who you are, but also get to know your staff members so that they know what to expect from you. And that has to mean that when you they do a good job, when you see them performing well, that you're going to say so. And this is critical, 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 because I am also going to be holding your feet to the fire, that you hold accountability, that you say to them, hey, when you started, I worked really hard for you to know that this was the job. I included this job description for you in the onboarding sequence that we did for you. We trained you to A, B, and C. I taught you how to do D, E, and F. You haven't done it. I'm wondering why. This is a step that got missed. It's affecting the business in the following ways. I need you to sort of be aware of this and I need you to communicate with me your plan for repair or for fixing it or getting it done. If you get in the habit right at the beginning with your staff of catching them being good, supporting good positive work product. It is going to be so much easier if also at the beginning, when you see them go right or left of center, you call that out and say, hey, I know that you know you have a lot on your plate, but I did tell you that email needed to get out by Wednesday afternoon. I haven't seen it show up in my inbox. Have you done it yet? And if not, what's your plan for getting it done as soon as possible? If you can hold accountability in an easy even way that isn't sort of filled with conflict and, you know, sort of outward disappointment, but you're just doing some fact checking and you're following up and you do that right at the beginning, then it's so much easier for employees to recognize that this is just part of the working environment. But usually what happens is bosses avoid the small disappointments, the small places where they've strayed because they don't want to take the time or they don't want to hurt their staff members' feelings or they don't want to seem to this or not enough of that. And then what happens is bosses end up going to their staff members with a pile of things that have made them unhappy in recent months, and the staff members don't see it coming. But if you recognize pretty much that the general rule for kids can become the general rule for adults is for every 
you know, every piece of negative critical feedback you've given someone, try to come up with three good things they've done. Now, you don't have to list the you've done good at this and you've done good at this and you've done good at this, but I need you to do this one thing better. But you want to make sure that the ratio is that you are praising three to one. And if you're not, the first thing I want you to ask yourself is, have I been clear about the expectations of my employee? When my employee has not been meeting my expectations? Have I already said so? And does my employee already know that they're not meeting the standard, that they're missing the mark? Because that's the evaluation process you want to go through for yourself. So often when staff members don't get things done, it's so easy. Like I said in that episode at the beginning of August about staff members who fail, it's so easy to blame the staff member, but you really want to look at yourself. You want to look at your training process. You want to look at your communication process to see if there's any lessons for you to learn as a boss or as a manager. But then, you know, beginning, middle and end, your staff need to know that you're watching that you're going to hold them accountable, that their work performance is something that's going to be evaluated and they can expect that from you. So even if they've never had that with anyone else, they'll get used to having it with you because you'll be consistent and it will just become part of the work rather than this sort of awkward moment where work needs to stop because they have to have an accountability conversation. I used to have accountability conversations with my staff members in hallways, like in front of clients sometimes if I was treating, you know, if I was training them to a particular skill set for clients, I would have the client right there and I would do the training in the moment in front of them because it's a really powerful learning opportunity. But you want to make it part of the way you do business so your staff members can expect it. And so you start to, over time, attract staff members who demand it. One of the most maddening things about my business when I was in private practice is nobody ever saw the work I was doing. There weren't any opportunities to get feedback for somebody to say, hey, have you thought about doing it this way? You could have done it that way. What were you thinking when you said this? It's been so refreshing for me in the online space as I consult with group programs and membership communities to be able to get feedback on ways I could do my training better, on ways I could deliver more impactful statements. I did a live event last year and the people I hosted the event for afterwards, you know, one of the hosts spent like 10 minutes reviewing my performance and identifying for me what I could have done differently. So I'm going to another live event at the end of or the middle of next month and I feel way more prepared now because I have a new skill set that I was trained to. So if we can move away from this idea that feedback is negative, that accountability is bad and we just embrace it as an opportunity to grow and you introduce your team culture to that, you set everybody up for success, but you're also avoiding a huge headache because if you go weeks or months without holding accountability, you are going to have to have the hard conversation where you acknowledge this conversation should have happened weeks ago. And that sucks. I've done it before. I've been in that place so many times where I was like, oh my God, if I give this person one more piece of feedback, they're going to quit or they're going to call out on Saturday shift and I'm going to be doing a staffing scramble or something like that. But at the end of the day, 
okay. We're all just grown-up kids, and kids like to know where they stand, and the same is true with adults. So we have to find our way, and we have to find our style. It doesn't have to be easy, but once you do it routinely and regularly, it doesn't have that emotional sort of hook or draw or drain that it can at the beginning when you've never done it before. The other thing you really want to think about is that in brick and mortar businesses, you know, morale hopefully is a part of the conversation. I know that there's a lot of corporate environments where morale only makes it to the discussion board when there's nothing else to talk about. But, you know, if you're going to be a boss, you are going to remember why you left your nine to five. You're going to remember why you went out on your own and what you didn't like about a nine to five. And I have to tell you that there is value in building morale as a virtual boss of creating opportunities for lighthearted fun, for team building activities, for creating a positive mood, for getting your staff members invested in the goals you have for your business and helping them see their role in it by being a positive example, having positive conversations and creating a safe place for people to get better and to grow and to learn from feedback. There are so many different ways to do that, but you have to think about your style. If you want to have a team building day, if you want to um, be, you know, be a boss who gives bonuses, if you want to be, you know, somebody who does little surprises, if you want to give random days off, you know, like there's so many different ways to show appreciation to help staff members understand one another and together and figure out their strengths and do the team, you know, sort of assessment. So you want to make time for that, even if it's just you and one, <clears throat> excuse me, even if it's just you and one virtual assistant, because you want to assume that it's some point it might be you and two virtual assistants and if you start a foundation for the way you do this then it doesn't change or shift you just keep doing it whenever a new employee is added so that helps you develop your new normal it helps you create the way you're doing things in a way that doesn't make you feel like you have to reinvent yourself and reinvent the team anytime you add a new person you just have a way that new people enter your business so it starts with a good interview where you're clear about you know sort of who you are and how you move through the world and what you need your team members to expect so that there's an iron tight job description so that when they join your team they're clear on the expectations and they're trained specifically to how to meet your expectations in the best possible way, that they're engaging with you with good sort of feedback and in a consistent meeting structure, that all of that is happening. It will contribute to positive morale. It will contribute to a positive mood, but it also sets you and your entire team up for massive success. And then the last piece you have to think about is the performance review. And it's interesting to me that there's very few online bosses that I've had as clients so far who have a system and sort of 
checks and balances for performance review. Usually it's like, you know, after we've worked together for three months, the probation period's off and we can check in on, you know, after six months. But the idea that you could formalize a performance review, this is what you did really well. This is an area for work. This is where I think you you really helped the company. And these are the opportunities for you to continue to help the company if you're interested. That formal conversation, that formal review, it, it shows people that they're valued. It shows people that their growth is important to you, that you don't just want them for those one and done tasks, but you see them as an, having an ability to grow in your business and you want to include them in that. And the best way to do that, the most sort of professional, easy, clean way to do that is with a structured performance review. So they know where you stand, they know where they stand, and they get to decide what they'd like to do next. I could never talk about every single situation that's come in my inbox in recent weeks, but I really do think I've hit on all of the important touchstones. The importance of having a good interview with a clean job description and being clear in communication, sort of not taking advantage of the virtual world, but maintaining structure and all of these steps, all of these things, having the meetings, giving you know, praise and feedback, all of that is you bossing your business. You get to decide how, you get to find your style and build your team your way. But if you organize the information, thinking about these things, you're setting yourself up for success, you're setting your employees up for success, and you are setting your business up to fly. I hope this conversation is valuable to you. If you have questions after it, if there's something that I didn't touch upon or you need me to go back to something with more specificity, I really invite you to do that. It's a really good conversation to have that I don't think we're having enough in the online space and I'd really like to help you have it. You can find me over at Heather at choosetohaveitall.com and I'll get back to you with an answer as soon as possible. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.